Good morning, Providence. Glad to glad that you're at church this morning. And Heather and I've been praying for the church, praying for you. And I know y'all have been praying for us. It was a, a a good week. Heather had two procedures done, two surgical procedures, and both of them uh, went well as far as her immediate recovery. She had no issues or anything from that, and so we're we're thankful for that. And Lord willing, the the cancer is is dying even as we speak with the uh, the chemo that they put into the tumors. We are hoping to be able to head back to Virginia here pretty soon. But today, I want you to take your Bibles and turn to Proverbs four, and we'll be there in just a few minutes. Proverbs chapter number four. I want to do a, a topical message today, and I may end up doing a second follow-up sermon to this next week. I haven't decided yet. But some of you may remember that when I came here to Arizona from Virginia, I I told you I embarked on a study uh, on joy. And towards um, towards the end of January and on into February, I pivoted in my personal study and began reading the book of Proverbs every day. I did that for quite a few times. I'm not sure exactly how many times I read Proverbs through in one sitting. But the purpose of my doing that was to understand the book of Proverbs better, but to also understand wisdom. It was was enjoyable to read the whole book in one sitting because when you do that and you do it over and over, you begin to see patterns. You begin to see patterns of thought, patterns of logic. You begin to see concepts uh, being put together that you had not seen before. And it was such a blessing to me that I wanted to share just a little bit of what I learned in this sermon and possibly in the next one as well. Proverbs chapter 4, verse number 1. Hear, O sons, a father's instruction, and be attentive that you may gain insight. For I give you good precepts. Do not forsake my teaching. When I was a son with my father, Tender, the only one in the sight of my mother, he taught me and said to me, Let your heart hold fast to my words and keep my commandments and live. Get wisdom. Get insight. Do not forget and do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her and she will keep you. Love her and she will guard you. That's talking about wisdom, by the way. Verse number seven. The beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom, and whatever you get, get insight. Prize her highly, and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. She will place on your head a graceful garland. She will bestow on you a beautiful crown. Hear, my son, and accept my words, that the years of your life may be many. I have taught you the way of wisdom. I have led you in paths of righteousness. When you walk, your step will not be hampered. And if you run, you will not stumble. Keep hold of instruction and do not go. let go. Guard her, for she is your life. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you so much for the instruction that we have in the Bible about wisdom and how we gain wisdom. And I just pray that we will be blessed by our study of the Word of God in Christ's name. Amen. We'll be looking at a lot of different passages of Scripture today, but in this passage in particular, two times, the writer 
uses the phrase, get wisdom. In verse number five, he says, get wisdom, get insight. In verse number seven, he says, get wisdom, and whatever you get, get insight. Now, we all know that Proverbs is a book about wisdom. Chapter one tells us uh, specifically, these are the Proverbs of Solomon, and here are the, the purposes to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight. That's verse number two. You can continue. The purpose statement goes from verse two to verse six of chapter one. If you want to know what Proverbs is about, if God dedicated a whole book of scripture to wisdom, then it requires us to ask some questions. Think about this. You have one whole book of the Bible that is concerning wisdom. What, what kind of questions do we need to ask? Well, first of all, we need to ask, what is wisdom? Secondly, we need to ask, how, how do I get that wisdom? And third, you can ask yourself and ask the Lord, what are the benefits of wisdom? Now, there are many disagreements. I want to talk about the book of Proverbs itself. There are many disagreements uh, as to how to interpret Proverbs. Some say, well, Proverbs is simply a, a collection of truisms. They're not promises or anything. They're just truisms. Basically, in general, these things are true. Other people will say, well, no, Proverbs is full of promises, and those promises are given to specific people, uh, mainly Christians. Other people will say, well, no, Proverbs is a book of wisdom, and this is good for everybody, whether you're saved or whether you're lost. Well, how do we, how do we know how to interpret Proverbs? Well, when you look at Proverbs, I want you to know and understand that there are two major sections to the book. There's a lot more subsections, but there are two major sections. Chapters 1 to 9 and chapters 10 to 31. Chapters 1 to 9... Uh, is a series of poems and songs about wisdom, and wisdom builds her house. And the long poems in these chapters lay the groundwork for the rest of the book by explaining what wisdom is, how to get it, and what will prevent a person from getting wisdom, and then what are the blessings and curse, curses surrounding wisdom and, and how to get it. And so these concepts in the first nine chapters of Proverbs provide the framework and structure of thought within which the rest of the book is interpreted. In the conclusion of chapter 9, if you look at the very end of chapter number 9, wisdom does two things. First of all, wisdom, in verse number 1 of chapter 9, wisdom builds her house. And then in verse number 5, wisdom invites us to her feast. And so wisdom, it, when you sum up the first nine chapters of Proverbs, Wisdom builds a house and then prepares a feast. And in chapters 10 to 31 are the feast that wisdom builds. Now that the house is built, the feast can begin. And for those who, who take up the book and allow it to overtake their thoughts, there is great benefit to them. The random Proverbs of chapters 10 to 22 and then the random Proverbs of chapters 25 to 29 they have to be read within the framework of the first nine chapters of the Bible. Though it may be easy to find practical advice for all kinds of different topics in, the, in those chapters, such as financial management, uh, friendship, influence, leadership, communication, the, this advice 
cannot be divorced from the fear of the Lord, which is the beginning of wisdom. The only way to begin wisdom is to fear the Lord, receiving counsel from the Lord and rejecting the seduction of self-love and self-reliance. This advice in chapters 10 to 31 really only works in a world where people are trusting in a wisdom that's from above, wisdom that comes from God, and alien righteousness, and a righteousness that comes through faith. And so when you look at all those random Proverbs in the second half of the book, remember, you can't divorce what that teaches from the fact of the first nine chapters that talks about fearing the Lord and Him being the source of wisdom and so on. And so with that as an introduction, I want to spend the rest of our time looking at wisdom herself. This is going to be more of a teaching sermon, and there's going to be a whole lot of scripture that we're going to look at. A lot of it I'll just read to you rather than have you turn there. But first, first I want to start out by asking a question. And the question is, what is wisdom? I mean, honestly, what is wisdom? That's a very simple question, but really, what is it? Well, we tend, Westerners, the Western church, we tend to think of wisdom as the application of knowledge. You've heard that over and over. You were taught that from a child, that wisdom is the application of child. And that, that in, in part, is true. But in the Old Testament, wisdom is primarily a moral concept. It's not a practical concept as much as it is a moral concept. Turn, turn with me to Proverbs chapter 2 and verse number 6. Proverbs 2 and, and verse number 6. Verse number 6 says, For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity. Now, who, who has wisdom? Who does the Lord give wisdom to? If you look at these verses, it's the upright. It's the upright. It's somebody who's, who's righteous, who has um, integrity of their heart. It's given to the upright. Most often, wisdom is derived from fearing the Lord. Overwhelmingly in the Old Testament, that's the biggest concept that you learn. Wisdom begins when you fear the Lord. For example, Proverbs chapter number 1, verse number 7. After the introduction of, of Proverbs 1 in the purpose statement, chapter uh, verses 2 to 6 in Proverbs chapter 1, you come to verse number 7, and right out of the gate, he says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, and fools despise wisdom and instruction. And so wisdom begins with the fear of the Lord. Proverbs chapter 9 and verse number 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Here again, we see that wisdom is tied to the fear of the Lord. Uh, another verse in, in Job, Job chapter 28, in verse number 28 says, And he said to the man, Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom, and to turn away from evil is understanding. And so we he have here the word understanding and the word wisdom both being tied to a moral concept, and the moral concept is righteousness or uprightness before the Lord. To the best of my knowledge, my ways before the Lord are upright. And if that is the case, then um, wisdom is a moral concept. The morality of wisdom can be seen uh, when it is contrasted with sin. 
For example, in, in Proverbs, we'll do a survey real quick. Proverbs chapter number one, right after saying that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, the writer warns against the enticement of sinners. He doesn't warn against, you know, don't be, don't be stupid, don't be foolish, uh, please take that knowledge and apply it. He says, no, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and don't be enticed by sinners. Um, ver- this goes all the way through verse number 23. In chapter number 2, the writer piles on moral concepts. For example, in chapter 2, verse number 5, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find knowledge of the Lord. In verse number 7, again, he says, and he stores up sound wisdom for the upright. Wisdom will deliver you from the way of evil, chapter 2 and verse number 12. And those who reject, or, or I'm sorry, those who rejoice in doing evil, um, the, 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 the wise person stays away from those kind of people, verse number 14. And the wise person stays away from the adulterous person in chapter number 2 and verse number 14. And so we ha- have here this concept that wisdom is, is a moral issue. It's a completely moral issue. Chapter number three um, says that um, the wise do not plan evil against their neighbor, verse number 29. The, the end of the chapter, verses 33 and 34, God's disfavor and curse is against the wicked. And here's a summary statement of chapter number three. You ready? The wise will inherit honor, but fools will get disgrace. The wise will inherit honor. The fools will get disgrace. What is this disgrace that he's talking about in verse number 35? It's talking about the curses and disfavor of, of verses 33 and 34. So what, what happens in the Old, Old Testament literature and ancient literature so much, the, the writer will give a concept, and then he'll do a compare contrast with the same concept. And so what does he say? The, follow the, the, the block here. The block uh, is this. God's disfavor and curse will fall on the wicked. And he summarizes it and restates it by saying, the wise inherit honor and the fools get disgrace. And so he's making wisdom a, a moral issue. I could go on, but you can see that, that wisdom is primarily learning uprightness and godliness. Now, secondarily, and this is important for us to understand, secondarily, Wisdom is learning how to apply knowledge. But this knowledge is intimately connected to the Lord. This knowledge is intimately connected to the Lord. In Proverbs 3, there's a beautiful little section that gets skipped over so much of the time, and it's overlooked by so many people. If, you, if you're in chapter 3, look at verse number 19. Verses 19 and 20 say this, The Lord, by wisdom founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens, and by his knowledge, the deeps broke open, and the clouds dropped down on the dew. And so here you see that the very creation of the world was done by God's wisdom, and that then extends to subjects such as geology, and physics, and hydrology, and astronomy, and, and all sorts of different sciences and mathematical principles are the, the world is founded upon the wisdom of God. And so wisdom is also practical application of knowledge. And man 
can learn lots and lots about the world. We all know um, of the James Webb Space Telescope and, and the things that it is seeing. But the problem is that when, when man is divorced from the knowledge of God, man can't make his way to wisdom. And that is why, that is how, that man can look at the world and see everything going on and take in knowledge and understand what he's seeing and come to the absolute wrong conclusion. I think about this. Um, we were in Israel. In, the, in I've been to Israel many times. And there for a few years, there was a drought that went on. It was a multi-year long drought in, in the nation of Israel. And I remember our guide saying the, the, the experts, the, the weather people, the hydrology people, say it's going to take several years, up to a decade, to refill the Sea of Galilee. That's what they were saying. And I believe it was 2019. Uh, we went back to Israel. It could have been 2020, though. I can't remember what year it was. 2019 or 2020. We go to Israel. They had record rainfall that winter, and the Sea of Galilee filled up in one winter. The, the people with all their knowledge said, this is what it's going to take. And God, in his wisdom, refilled the Sea of Galilee in one shot. I'm, I'm living out west right now while Heather's going through treatment. And California is the same way. They talk about California, that, that there's a multi-year drought. And it's going to take so much to refill the reservoirs and stuff like that. And yet the reservoirs have been refilled in one winter. I think they said that they've had, that they've had 12 consecutive atmospheric rivers coming through California, and they've gotten more water than they know what to do with. Man in, man in man's wisdom, um, divorced from God, will oftentimes come to the wrong conclusions. So wisdom is, is, comes from God. God's a source. It's intimately connected to the Lord, wisdom is. Uh, that's the second thing I want us to see. First of all is what is wisdom? Secondly, um, wisdom is always connected to the Lord. There are two ways that we see this. First of all, no matter how hard man searches, he will never find wisdom apart from God. I want you to turn to a beautiful passage of Scripture. I want you to turn with me to Job 28. Job 28. Now, we're not going to read this whole chapter, but I'm going, we, I want you to just fly over this chapter. I want you to go home and, and read it on your own and see exactly the, the, the impact of those words that, that are given in Job chapter 28. In Job 28, it's a poem about wisdom. That's what Job 28 is. It's a poem about wisdom. And it highlights wisdom uh, by unfolding it in three parts. The first part is people's ability to find virtually everything that the earth contains. That's Job 28 verses 1 to 11. You see that, that they are talking about how man has the ability to mine gold and silver and copper and iron and sapphire. And they can we can find it deep in the earth. We can even figure out by looking at geological structure where it might be before we start digging. And yet the humans in the second part of Job 28, verses 12 to 22, man has an inability to find the place of wisdom. Look at verse number 12. Verse number 12 asks the question, where can wisdom be found? And his conclusion is man can find all sorts of valuable things, 
but he cannot find wisdom on his own. And then you get to the third part of Job 28, verse number 23, and it says, God understands the way to wisdom. What is the logical result of all this? You want to find wisdom in Job 28? You look at verses 23 to 28, and his conclusion is, the fear of God is wisdom. Man can't find wisdom divorced from God himself. So wisdom is always connected to God because God is the source of wisdom. Um, Proverbs 8.22 says, The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work, the first of his acts of old. And then it goes on in Proverbs 8 to talk about how um, wisdom, God had wisdom before the world was ever founded, before it was created, and, and so on. Verse Romans chapter 11, verse number 33, Oh, the depths of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. So we see that wisdom is, is, has its source in God himself. It's always connected to God. If I were to ask you a question, well, let me ask you this question. How does one become wise? What would you say? Well, if you think about it, if God is a source of wisdom, then the second way that, wi that wisdom is connected to the Lord is that only God can give wisdom. If he's a source of wisdom, then only he can give it. Proverbs chapter 2 and verse number 6 says the Lord gives wisdom. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse number 17 says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of the revelation and knowledge of him. Finally, James chapter 1 and verse number 5 says, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and to him it will be given. So wisdom is intimately connected to God, and because he is the source of God, and you can't find it by searching for it on your own, um, like, you, like you would gold or iron or copper or silver or something like that. It cannot be found apart from God. And because God is the source of wisdom, then the only way to get wisdom is when God gives you wisdom. The Bible over and over says God gives wisdom. Well, that brings us to another question that I want to ask, and that is this. What are the benefits of wisdom? What are the benefits of wisdom? Well, turn to Proverbs chapter 3 with me. Proverbs chapter 3. And we'll see that the very first benefit of wisdom is happiness. Is happiness. Proverbs chapter 3, verse number 13 says, Blessed is the one who finds wisdom, and the one who gets understanding. Blessed is the one who what? Gets wisdom. And number two, gets understanding. The word for blessed here is very important. This is not your typical word for blessed. It's a Hebrew word related to the word Asher, like the tribe Asher in the Old Testament. And it means, the word means to be fortunate or to be happy. For example, in 1 Kings chapter number 10, and verse number 8, the same word is used, happy are your men, happy are your servants who continually stand before you and hear your wisdom. And in Proverbs chapter number 19, verse number 8, reading from the New American Standard says, he who gets wisdom loves his own soul. And so in other words, do, you, do yourself a favor, if I can say it like this, do yourself a favor and get wisdom. Humanity has a, a 
insatiable desire for happiness. And, and frankly, there are many ways to find happiness apart from God, but none of them are lasting ways to find happiness. Only in God do we find lasting and eternal happiness. Um, and that's, that's the important distinction. Proverbs chapter number 16, and verse number 16 says, How much better to get wisdom than to get gold? To get understanding is to be chosen rather than silver. And so wisdom makes us happy, and wisdom is more desirable than all the things that men long for. And there's no end to the things that men long for on this earth that they think is going to make them happy. It could be, it could be a relationship. If I have a meaningful marital relationship, or if I have a meaningful job, or if I have a meaningful career, or, or I live here, or if I have money, or if I experience these wonderful vacations, or if my children, are, are they grow up and they're wonderful citizens and they're good moral people, all these things men think will make them happy. And in reality, if there is happiness, it's only temporary. The most desired thing that we can have is to get wisdom. Get it more than any of the things that men on earth desire. And why? Why? Why does it say that the one who finds wisdom is happy? Why does it say that? Why is wisdom more desirable than all the precious metals? The answer to that is that in order to find true wisdom, we must first find God. Don't miss this. This is an important concept. In order to find true wisdom, you must first find God. That is, if you want wisdom... And true wisdom comes from only one source, and that source is God. Then you must first go to God. We theologians theologians call God omnisapient, and that means all wise. He contains all wisdom. Omnisapient wisdom is a characteristic of God. And so, if you're going to um, get wisdom, first thing you have to do is find God. Then, secondly, since wisdom is moral in nature and God is the source of all morality, then by its very nature, to become wise, you have to become like God. Let me shorten that long sentence down to this. Wisdom, we learn, is moral. And God is moral. So therefore, if we want wisdom, then we become more like God. And that moral nature is the wisdom that we have. Let me say it a different way. Today we would call that sanctification. It is, is enjoined. Sanctification is, is encouraged. It's enjoined in the Old Testament regarding the law, and it's encouraged in the New Testament regarding obeying Jesus Christ. Deuteronomy chapter number 4 and verses 5 and 6. Turn there with me. Deuteronomy chapter 4. We'll look at verses 5 and 6. Deuteronomy 4 and verses 5 and 6. We see something about wisdom here. It says this, this is Moses speaking. He's in his final sermon before he goes up on Mount Pisgah and, and goes home to be with the Lord. And verse Deuteronomy 4, 5, and 6 says, See, I have taught you statutes and rules as the Lord my God commanded me that you should do them. So there's a first part. You, you have, uh, I've taught you these rules so that you can do them. 
Then the second part, skipping down a little bit, keep them and do them for that will be your what? Wisdom. And what else will it be? Your understanding in the sight of all peoples. And so in the Old Testament, being a moral concept, wisdom involves obeying the law. However, in the New Testament, it, it is um, a more, com- it's a progressive revelation. So we learn more about what that means in uh, Matthew chapter number seven and verse number 24. You don't have to turn there. I'll read the verse in just a minute, but I will say it's the, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. And he says this, Jesus is speaking here. He says, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. So what does Jesus say here? Hear my words and obey my words and you will be what? A wise man. Now we understand the Sermon on the Mount to be Jesus' first sermon talking about entry into the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. He's talking about how do you become part of the covenant community? How do you become part of the kingdom? Those who are going to go to heaven. And what does he say in conclusion in Matthew chapter number seven? Obey my words. So what is he saying here by this? When he says, obey my words, he in essence is saying, obey the gospel call. Obey the call to believe on me. Obey the call to put your trust in me. Obey the call to repent of your sin. And then to grow in your Christ likeness. And so it's through obeying the gospel and the impartation of eternal life, which in turn results in wisdom and in turn results in true happiness. We have looked at a couple sermons from the Psalms that we see in your courts, there's joy forevermore and how that joy comes from a closeness to the presence of God. And here we see with the concept of wisdom, if wisdom comes from God and wisdom is an attribute of God, he's omnisapient, then to know God more gives us more wisdom when we obey him. And it also in turn gives us eternal happiness and more happiness in our day-to-day life. I want to conclude very quickly by answering this question, how do we get wisdom? How do we get wisdom? Well, let me give you a few things here. Number one, desire wisdom intently. Desire wisdom intently. In Proverbs chapter number four, verse number eight, the writer says, prize her highly and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. Now, these are not, these are not cheap words. To prize something and to embrace someone are the, the signs of intense desire and love. Wisdom is, is to be valuable for us. We must be willing to sell all in order to buy it, in order to get it. Seek it like silver. Search for it as hidden treasures, Proverbs 2 and verse number 4. And by the way, going back to what I said about Jesus, you remember what he said about the kingdom of heaven? It's like a pearl of great price. It's like a treasure that somebody finds in a field, a buried treasure. And here wisdom is like a buried treasure. And so you see how wisdom is such a moral concept. So desire wisdom intensely. Number two, pray for wisdom. Wisdom is something that we pray about. Daniel admitted that he and himself had, in himself had no wisdom. And so he said, to you, O God, 
of my fathers, I give thanks and praise, for you have given me wisdom and might and have now made known to me what we have asked of you. Paul prayed for the churches that they might receive spiritual wisdom. In Colossians 1.9, he says, um, he prayed for the churches that they might receive true spiritual wisdom. In Colossians, or in James chapter 1, and verse number 5, James said, if you at lack wisdom, let, you, let him ask of God. So wisdom leads to true and lasting happiness. It's not natural or inborn. It's supernatural. It's a gift of God, and so we must pray about it. Number three, not only must we desire it, must we pray about it, but since wisdom is found in the Word of God, number three, we must apply ourselves to the Word of God. Study it and meditate upon it. Psalm 19, verse number seven says, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Therefore, we must devote ourselves to know and to understand the testimonies of the Lord, to meditate on the word of God. It's not enough just to know the systems of doctrine, to know that you're doctrinally accurate. To know the word of God means that you're knowing God in him only. It means to read the great Christians from days gone by, to understand what, what they say and what, how their understanding is. And that's how you seek God in his, his word. And then number four, biblical wisdom um, is to get wisdom, think frequently of your death. In order to get wisdom, think frequently of your death. Or to put it another way, the shortness of this life and the infinite length of the next. If you want to be wise, think about how short this life is and how long the next life is. Psalm 90 and verse number 12 says, So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. There, there is scarcely any thought that will purge our priorities and worldly perceptions like the thought of our imminent death. And then finally, there's one last absolutely essential thing if you would get wisdom, and that is you must come to Jesus. You must come to Jesus. I wish I had time for this, this topic, but I don't. But Jesus said in Matthew 12 and verse number 24, the queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And then Jesus said this, and behold, something greater than Solomon is here. Solomon spoke God's wisdom. Jesus is the wisdom of God. 1 Corinthians 2.14. I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians 1.24. But to those who are called both the Jews and the Greek, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. 1 Corinthians 1.30, And because of him, you are in Jesus Christ, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification, and redemption. Jesus Christ is the wisdom of God. Know Jesus Christ, understand Jesus Christ, and you will be a wise person. I want to leave you with a couple verses in Colossians chapter 2. Here's how I want to leave you. Paul is praying for the church, and he prays that their knowledge of Christ will increase in this way. Listen to what he says. That their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of the full assurance, ready, of understanding and the knowledge of God's 
mystery. And what is this mystery? Which is Jesus Christ. And then he says this, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. You want to be wise? Know Christ. You want to have wisdom? Obey Christ. You want to have happiness? Become Christ-like. Lord, I pray that you will give us a a greater desire to know Christ and his word. For it is in Christ that we find eternal life. But because Christ is wisdom, it's in Christ that we find wisdom. And it's in Christ that we find true joy and happiness. May we do that. May we find that great treasure, that pearl of great price. May we find, build ourselves a house built upon the rock, which is Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.